uh, what are the biggest perils of sex outside of God's bounds? Well, we have a kind of a misnomer in our society that, that we can, that sex is okay if we're in a committed relationship. Yeah. And so defining what committed is, is, is really, it's, it's critical. And, and Christians especially have a tendency to water down their theologies and, and make it okay. Yeah. Uh, God has designed uh, a good plan for sex. He likes sex. Uh, he's never been opposed to sex. He's the inventor of it. He's the inventor. Unfortunately, with free will, we've got these interesting dilemmas and boundaries are certainly part of that. Yeah. For, all, for all you single folks out there, this is torture for you. <laughs> there's, there's just no other way to put it. Yeah. So, you know, to really want to live as, as God intended us to live, um, it's torture. Yeah. You know, when, when we're attracted to somebody and we get all giddy and we get all kind of goofy, um, we're getting a dopamine rush right there. So as you move that into um, being sexually involved with each other, that dopamine is huge. And, but it's all feeling brain. It's not thinking brain. It's not frontal cortex. You got to learn to control that. And the fruit of the spirit is self-control. So the best way to learn to manage that, though, is to use those filters uh, God's already given us, honor, integrity, respect. It's good for, for single, young adults to have a plan with that. Mm. You know, yeah. you can talk about different principles and concepts, but the bottom line is, is what's your plan? Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to a room full, because there's a bunch of married people <laughs> listening in on this, watching this? So there, there's probably a little bit of discontent out there. There might be a lot of content with some, um, but the ones that are content are working at it. Yeah. They're intentional about it. They, they, the concept of as a Christian couple, we can have great sex. Exactly. Um, for a long time. Right. I mean, we, don't, we don't have to not talk about that. In fact, we will talk about that. Yeah. Marriages need to have good, healthy sex. And, and there's not a formula for what that looks like from the standpoint of how often. It, 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 it is one of those visible signs of health or unhealth. A barometer right. of sorts. Absolutely. Yeah. You do some extensive work uh, with sex addicts and mm -hmm. so we, we just talk to us really candidly about why we should not even go there like pornography etc. Internet pornography um, financially speaking absorbs literally billions of dollars out of our culture. And, and it's not healthy really in any way. It doesn't do anything constructive or positive. It's, it's all based on self-gratification. It, it replaces literally their, their spouses or their girlfriends. The sexual relationship in a marriage starts to decline. The more compulsive the, the behavior is. Um, it's very dangerous, very dangerous. If you're having trouble with it, guys, um, call me. Yeah. You know, or call somebody locally that, that can help you with that. It will get worse. So we have been in the series called Hot August Nights. We've been talking about love, dating, relationships, marriage. And some of you haven't been here for any of this series except today. 
and I'm going to just call that what it is, cheap and scandalous. You missed all this other like foundational content about love and dating and relationships and marriage, and then you show up on the day we talk about sex, and that's cheap and scandalous. It just is. And even you hearing Bob or me say the word sex, uh, it just causes, hearing that word causes a whole range, a whole spectrum of different thoughts and emotions for different people. Right, like for some people, you just heard me say that we're gonna talk about sex, you heard Bob talking about sex, and you're just immediately like all excited, right? You're like, woo, get to talk about sex in church, woo. For other people, shame is the primary emotion that wells up when they hear the word sex. For others, they hear the word and all kinds of pain wells up because perhaps they've been abused uh, sexually and so traumatized sexually. And so there's this word, sex, and for many people, it elicits a good response. For others, it elicits a bad response. For a whole bunch of other people, it's just neutral, this sort of ambivalence about the word. There's this spectrum, right? And everybody's on that spectrum somewhere. But there's this thing that you can take to the bank, and it's that from the time that we're kids, we're very, very curious about the whole notion of sex, aren't we? From like the littlest of children. Just as one example, I heard a story of this little boy, he came to his dad and he said, Dad, where do we come from? And of course, this little guy's dad was just petrified because uh, kids, if you're a kid in this room, just in case you've ever wondered, parents usually aren't big fans of talking about sex stuff, right? It's difficult for most parents to talk to their kids about sex. But this dad, as difficult as it was, he did some quick math in his head. It was like, jeez, I guess my son is getting into like to that age, right, when I should talk this stuff through with him. And so... This dad grits his teeth and takes a big breath and just leans into it, right? The whole thing, birds and bees and first base and second base and third base and home plate and all of it. He just puts it all out there for his son. And when he got all done, he took a deep breath, the dad did, and just sort of braced himself for his son's response. And there was his son just standing there like this, like, oh my gosh. And his dad's like waiting for him to say something. And finally his son said something. He said, wow, dad. All Sally said was that she came from California. (laughs) Sex elicits a curiosity from all of us at the very earliest of age, which is why we're going to look at this sort of stuff today. We really are just going to put it out there. We're going to look in particular at what God has to say about the ordained context of sexual expression, which is within the bounds of marriage. And right out of the gate, I want to say this because of what happens whenever I have this sort of frank conversation about God's view on sex in this setting. There are some people who feel very strongly that me talking about sexual expression in a worship gathering like this is just wrong. I've had people over the years build quite elaborate arguments for me, to me, about why we should never talk about sexual expression in church, especially the way that I'm going to talk about it today. And here's the truth. I deeply respect those people, I deeply respect their opinion, but I have to say that I could not disagree with them more. I could not disagree with their arguments more. Why? Well, because people of all ages are inflicting untold volumes of damage upon themselves, upon others emotionally, via out-of-bounds sexual expression every single day because of the mess that we've got going on in culture when it comes to sex. Which means really, when you do the math, us talking about sex from God's perspective, from the inventor's perspective, by the way, remember, it was God who invented this sex deal. That means that looking at sex from the inventor's perspective is actually one of the most relevant things that we can be talking about as the church of Jesus Christ. 
Sex is everywhere in culture. It's very confusing. It's a mess. It's inflicting untold volumes of damage upon people's souls. And isn't it time that the church took up talking about sex from the inventor's perspective? Especially because the inventor's perspective isn't going to be talked about in school and on TV, in the locker room, or on the internet, at least in any place where people are looking for sexual content. And the inventor's perspective, God's perspective, matters so much that we're going to take this up as a church. And we're going to take it up as adults. We're going to take it up with kids in age-appropriate ways. We're going to dive right in because sex is everywhere. And God's perspective on the matter really matters. And so if you've got a text, I'd invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. If not, you can just look with me here. And we are just going to dive right in. Now, the man and woman, this is inside the creation account. Genesis chapter 2. The man and his wife, this is Adam and this is Eve, were both naked, but they felt no shame. And we're just going to put it out there, right? Adam and Eve, first man, first woman, there they are in the garden, and they are buck naked, and they felt no shame. And the first thing that I want to lift from the inventor's perspective, from God's vantage point when it comes to sexual expression is this. God's intention from the very beginning is that only people of the opposite, the only people of the opposite sex who should be getting naked together are husbands and wives, Right? God didn't make you emotionally or spiritually or sexually to be running around getting naked with people of the opposite sex except your spouse and only after their man and wife. And you know this, and you know this well, that there's people who are very busy getting naked with people of the opposite sex who aren't their spouse, and there's a toll. There's an emotional toll to that. The scripture just points it right out, right there. Genesis chapter 2, the scripture calls that toll, the emotional toll, shame. And shame is when you're like all worried and concerned and uptight, all these emotionally damaging sentiments about what this other person who is not your spouse is thinking about you and thinking about your body and thinking about your sexual performance and prowess. And and God says, look, being naked with someone of the opposite sex is meant to be this incredibly safe and shame-free thing. And the way that he intends to ensure that safety, that intimacy, that safety is through this lifetime commitment that husband and wife make to each other called marriage. Where it's beautiful and it's right and it's safe and it's free of shame and there isn't any wondering what he or she is thinking or feeling. There's no grabbing for something to cover up with. There's no quick turn off the lights. There's no, hey, don't look at that. It's just out there. Right? Like way out there. All of you out there. Just like Adam and Eve were out there. And you talk about being out there. They're like in a garden, pretty public place, right? naked, buck naked, they're way out there. And the scripture's really clear, they didn't feel any shame about that. Now, after having said all of that, this is probably really obvious, but I'm gonna make it really, really obvious by sort of jumping up and down on this, just to be sure. If you're someone who's getting naked with people the opposite sex who aren't your spouse, the application of Genesis chapter two for you is this, stop. Right, like just Stop it. God didn't make you emotionally. He didn't make you spiritually. Frankly, he didn't even make you physically for that. And I say this to couples quite frequently, and they come back to me and they say, oh, it's not like that with us. It is shame-free with us. Me and my romantic other, we're completely free about all that stuff. There's no shame, and you're right. We're not married yet, but it's like we're married. It's safe, and blah, 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 blah. And I just go, no, it's not. I don't care what you say. No, it's not. Keep your clothes on when you're with people of the opposite sex who you're not married to, buttons buttoned up, zippers zipped up, belts really, really tight. And, and you see, for God, 
one of the very most fundamental and important tasks that's been entrusted to marriage, now check this out, is the work of reclaiming the body for the Lord, of making pure and clean and holy again that which has been trampled in the mud of shame. Credit a guy named Mike Mason for that quote. So you see, you have these people who are getting naked with other people who aren't their spouse, and that comes at a very high price emotionally, spiritually, physically. There's shame, there's regret, there's pain. And so you see this beautifully intended expression of love called sex that God designed for husband and wife to enjoy within the safety and shame-free environment of marriage. When it's not expressed solely in that context, it gets drugged down in and through the mud and the muck and the mire. It gets trampled on. And so much of that trampling and dragging through the mud and muck and mire is rooted in people's view. Lots of people hold this view that sex is just an act. So many people hold this view that sex is just an act. Like when you're hungry, what do you do? You're all just petrified. You're just hanging on like white knuckling to the seats, right? You don't want to say a word, right? When you're hungry, what do you, you can say it. It's okay. It's not about sex. It's just about food, right? You get hungry and so... You eat, right? You get thirsty, what do you do? Good job. You have to go to the bathroom, what do you do? Right? You go to the bathroom, you get tired, what do you do? Some of you drink a five-hour energy, but that's not the right answer. You go to sleep when you're tired. And for lots of people, they get horny, right? Let's just be in the, that category. They get horny, and so what do you do? You get naked, and you have sex. It's just an act, right? It's just like eating, just like drinking, just like going to the bathroom, just like sleeping. For so many people, sex is just an act. And God's like standing on the sidelines of all of that and he's going like, hey, wait a minute. Stop. Your sexuality is way, way, way more complex than it just being an act, than eating, drinking, sleeping, going to the bathroom. And it's way more complex because God cares deeply, understand this please, he cares deeply about your physical bodies. He actually cares that your view of your body matches his view of your body. And you know what his view of your body is? It's good. Right? God made you and he said it's good. Actually he used the words very good. Your body is very good. And seeing sex as just a physical act degrades your body in a way that God never, ever intended it to. One man, one woman, one marriage, one lifetime. And so couples, married couples, understand this. That within the context of marriage, your sexual expression, one to another, is actually used by God to lift your view of your physical body out of the muck and the mire and the shame. And you're participating with God in that. And Satan, he's quite enjoyed screwing up our view of our bodies and of sexual expression from the way that God intended it to be. You just look across culture, see how many people view sex as just an act. Look at how many people who are believing things about their bodies, the shame that so many people are feeling because Satan has it so convoluted, so twisted up. Lots of you will probably remember a movie from a while back called Indecent Proposal. Remember this? Movie, you're all too embarrassed to admit that you remember it. Yeah, Indecent Proposal, it's from a long time ago. The gist of the movie, if you don't know anything about it, is the character, played by a woman named Demi Moore, she's wrestling about whether or not she should sell herself for a million dollars for one night with this male character in the movie. And by the way, the selling of herself wasn't like a dinner and a movie kind of date, in case you're wondering. She's prostituting herself. And she's wrestling this through. One million dollars, one night. And she's wrestling 
out loud in this movie. And she actually says this line. Well, I'm just giving him my body. That's it. I'm just giving him my body. That's it, she says. But that's not it. The sex act involves way more than just our body. It involves soul and spirit. It's this incredibly mysterious thing that God invented and then made and then set loose in us. And Satan has a heyday with it. And one of the things that Satan most has a heyday with is getting you and I to believe this lie that God invented sex then actually made the parts so that sex is even possible and then turned sexual desire loose in us inside of his most prized and highest of all creation and then had these sudden regrets about sex. And so then God had to sort of frantically go to work to restrict it because he realized that it was like this out of control wildfire. That's what Satan wants you and I to believe. That God doesn't want you to have fun, and so he's just sitting up in heaven trying to kill all of your fun by telling you to keep your clothes on until you're married. Satan wants you to believe this lie that God realized when he was done creating sex, he had to run out and start putting up all these barricades around sex so that nobody could enjoy it. Like God created it, got nervous about it, and then created all these ways so you couldn't actually enjoy it. That's what Satan wants you and I to believe, and I'm here today to tell you that that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. How do I know that's a lie from the pit of hell? Three little words, Song of Solomon. Ever read it? Song of Solomon. It's this book in the Bible, the Old Testament of the Bible, and you know what it's all about? The loving sexual expression, the loving sexual relationship between a man and his wife. It's this amazing book. If you're 16 and single, don't, don't read it. You, no, just save it. I actually preached a sermon from the Song of Solomon some years ago to help married couples navigate some of the things in that book, and I caught heck for that sermon, by the way. This, just so you know, is tame in comparison. And here's the truth about the Song of Solomon. There are places in that book that will literally make you blush. It'll just flat make you blush. You read it, and when you understand what they're actually saying, when you understand what the imagery is referring to, when you know what they're talking, I'm just going to read you a line, right? Song of Solomon, chapter Six, and we're talking about sex here, so let your mind go just a little bit. And here's Song of Solomon, chapter six. I went down to the grove of walnut trees and out to the valley to see the new spring growth, to see whether the grapevines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. And he's not referring to agricultural products in any of that. It's analogy. And some people hear that and they read Song of Solomon and they're like, oh my gosh, no way, they don't actually say that in the Bible. And yeah, yes, they absolutely do. God does, and he does because he invented sex. God actually made the parts that make sex possible and he turned sexual desire loose inside of us and he doesn't understand this. God doesn't have any regret about that. Never once has God had regret about that. Now I believe he's probably got some disappointment around how sex gets abused and misused and dragged through the mud and trampled upon, but he doesn't have any regret about it. He created it after all. And married couples understand this, when you get sex right, when you and I get sex right, when we radically enjoy sexual expression the way God made it to be enjoyed within the confines, one man, one woman, in a monogamous married relationship, I want you to just imagine with me the anguish it must cause Satan to have to stand aside and watch as married couples discover real pleasure and closeness and love on territory that normally belongs to him. You think about that. 
when married couples get sex right, Satan has to cringe. Satan has to freak out. Why? Because a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more of his kingdom gets taken back for the sake of the kingdom of God. And it has to drive him crazy. And you as married couples, you get to be a part of that. And inside of the free and loving exchange of nakedness that takes place between a husband and wife is just one of the spectacular ways in which the divine ordinance of holy matrimony, that's marriage, actually sets about to reverse the curse of original sin. Because you see, the ground that Satan used to hold, used to dominate, used to control, used to manipulate, it isn't his anymore because it's being reclaimed by God's people via God's plan. And you and your spouse are part of that through your married expression. Whoa. This is just a freebie, a little extra, no charge for this. If and when, again from Mike Mason, if and when married couples could give themselves to one another in every way as they did when they first passionately embraced, or as they have in their most sublime experiences of sex, or even in the most ordinary of their sexual experiences, their problems would be few. And that is just true. If you could toss out the baggage that's been accumulating throughout your marriage, you can, by the way, it's this little thing called forgiveness. And you can be done with all that baggage. If you could just let all that crap go, And if you could fall, plunge headlong into each other's arms like you did when you first met and give yourselves fully to each other, there wouldn't be any bitterness and there wouldn't be any baggage and there wouldn't be any unforgiveness and there'd be plenty of great, fantastic sex. Not the, like, because I have to kind of sex, but rather the I love this kind of sex the way God made you to have sex. And you're all grown-ups, most of you anyway, And so you know this is true, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sex must never, ever be depended upon to establish love, but it can only grow out of it. Great sex, see, is the result of a great relationship. Great sex is never the cause of a great relationship. It's the result of a great relationship with God, first and foremost, and a great relationship with your spouse. Honestly, I know that some people are going to want to, like, stand up and throw stuff at me when I say this, but I will die on this hill every single time. If you're a dating person or thinking about dating, I just want to, like, here it is. Very black, very white. The quickest way to jack up your dating relationship is to start having sex or to start messing around sexually, trying to get away with as much as you possibly can without actually having sex. How far can we go until God, you know, That's the quickest way you'll ever jack up your relationship with someone you're dating. How do I know that's true? Because countless hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have told me over the years, single people, dating people, they say it like this, everything was fine, everything was great in our dating relationship, but, and I'm like, oh, I know where this is going, but then we started having sex. And it's just like, ah, I cringe every single time because it bums me out so much because what you've done when you start having sex before you've been to the marriage altar is you start loading sex up with all of this expectation 
Expectation, by the way, that doesn't have anything to do with the sex itself. You start loading up your sexual expression with all these emotional expectations of what you hope and think it's supposed to do for your relationship. And this is endemic in our culture. A whole bunch of people go looking to sex and sexuality to do stuff and to provide stuff that God never intended for it to do or provide. Lots of couples are looking for sex to give them meaning. Lots of couples are looking to sex to give them purpose. Lots of couples are looking to sex to give them security, fulfillment, all these things. But here's the truth. God didn't create sex to give you any of those things. Sex is not in any way this magical mechanism by which all these emotional holes in our soul are patched, filled, made whole. Ultimately, God is the only one capable of giving those things to us, meaning, purpose, security, fulfillment. And when your relationship with God is everything that he wants it to be, when he is the capital S source of everything that he wants to be for you, then sex can then turn back into what he made it to be, this beautiful, fun gift that God's given you to enjoy with your spouse. So, you wanna have great sex in your married relationship? It doesn't start with sex. It starts with God, and then it starts with having a great, fantastic, healthy, intimate relationship with your spouse. Last thing I want to talk about today is the power of sex. I'm going to close with this. And sex is so powerful that nowhere else in the world is the inextricable interconnectedness of a married couple made more plain, more visible, more tangible than it is in the act of sex which means that sex between a husband and a wife is so, so incredibly powerful that look at what Jesus says happens between a man and a woman. They are no longer two, but they are one. Sexual intercourse is such a powerful deal that it actually becomes quite like a seal. And it resonates to the very deepest chambers of man and woman's temperament, psyche, spirit, soul, however you want to say it. And when you're in a relationship with someone who's not your spouse and you introduce sexual activity into that relationship and you go from first base to home plate within two weeks of meeting this person and all you're doing is papering over all of the holes that exist in your relationship. You do not have this long-standing foundation of intimacy that you've built with this person who you met two weeks ago and started having sex with. You just don't. But sex is such a powerful thing that it will cover over a whole lot of bad stuff in your relationship for a while. Keywords. For a while. It papers over all of it. It makes it feel like you don't have to deal with it. You'll look past it. You'll look beyond it. But just like with anything and everything in life, eventually that stuff must be dealt with. It just must be. Sex is such a powerful thing, which is precisely why God only intends for sex to be expressed inside of a covenant marriage relationship. Because God wants you and I to be spared the pain and the heartache that occurs when you start having sex outside of the covenant of marriage. Sex is such a powerful thing. And I want to say it like this, and I hope you'll excuse the analogy. But sex is very much like driving a car. It just is. And lots of you know that driving a car is this fantastic experience, right? It's this 
great experience. Driving a car can be a whole lot of fun. I took a road trip yesterday with a bunch of the kids. We went up to Lewistown to watch Dana's cousin play football. He plays for Columbia Falls, and they were playing Lewistown, so we made a road trip out of it. And I don't drive the sexiest of cars, in case you're wondering. I drive a 2011 Suburban. You know, it's pretty, pretty vanilla, pretty ordinary. It's like the ultimate family car, right? The only thing worse is the 15-passenger van. We left that at home. And that road from Big Timber to Harlowtown, have you driven on that road before? I mean, like, I think the speed limit is 70, but you can't go 70 on that road, honestly. Like, I mean, just like two, three, four-mile stretches of road that are just so straight. And so you just put the hammer down. You know, there's not a car for miles around. You put the hammer down, and a couple of times the kids would, like, look up at the speedometer, and they'd go, Dad, are we supposed to be going? Is that the speed limit, Dad? And I just go, hey, just close your eyes and go back to sleep. Right? It's just fun. Like, driving a car is just incredibly fun, even if it is a 2011 Suburban. It can be very fun. But what else do you know about driving cars? Well, there's certain limitations to it, right? Like, you have to be a certain age. You have to take a class, a month-long class, even. You have to pass a written test to get your permit, and then you have to pass a driving test with this grouchy driver's license examiner in the front seat telling you where to Sorry, driver's license examiners, if you're here today. Love you. You have to pass that test. There's all these like governmental hoops that you have to jump through to drive because cars are really powerful things. And how many times have you heard somebody say about driving, I got this, I can handle this, I know what I'm doing, and how many of those same people end up upside down in their car in a ditch or in a hospital or sometimes they even end up dead because cars are incredibly powerful things and sex is just like that sex is the most powerful the fastest car that you've ever driven and people say all the time I've got this I can handle this I'm in control everything's good I've got it but outside of marriage sex is so powerful that no one's just got it It's so powerful outside of marriage, inside of marriage for that matter, that it can throw you up on the rocky shore of life and cause you more pain and heartache than you can even imagine. And please understand, God's not even close to just trying to wreck your life by telling you to save it for marriage. God's not in any way trying to come along like a cosmic cop trying to stop you from having any, it's not like that at all. Instead, he's saying, sex is such a powerful thing. It's so powerful that I made it for the confines of a married, lifelong commitment. Just keep it there. Would you just keep it there? Take your stuff and set it aside, if you would. And I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and move into a time of prayer and reflection with the Lord. And I know I said that I was going to finish with sex being a powerful thing, but that was only partly true. And it's only partly true because the very last thing I want you to hear today is this. God loves to forgive. And a conversation about sex and sexual expression and the boundaries, the last thing that I want you to hear is that God loves to forgive. 
And I don't have any doubt that there's some of us who need that more than anything. Some of us who need God's healing and forgiveness in our own lives today, in particular in the area of sexual expression. Because what's true is that sexual sin has affected every single one of us. We've all failed sexually at some level or another. All of us, me included. And I'm going to say it again. God loves to forgive. And you might be in a spot right now where you're up against a wall and you might be tempted to have an affair or you might be tempted to have sex outside of marriage or maybe you and your significant lover other, you're tempted to push God's boundaries of sexual purity. Maybe you're someone and you carry this profound sense of guilt or shame when it comes to the issue of sex and maybe you're someone who's gotten pregnant outside of marriage or you may have had an abortion, you might struggle with pornography. God loves to forgive. And every single one of us has made mistakes. Every last one of us has been touched by this fallen world when it comes to our sexuality. And God loves to forgive. And maybe for you, even as you sit here within the hearing of my voice, Maybe the truth for you is that you're in this place where you're just headed for sexual disaster in your life. You're headed straight for the rocky shore. And maybe you'd just be honest with God. You don't have to be honest with anybody else. Just start by being honest with God. And just say, man, Lord, I'm headed for the rocks here. I see it looming. And you just be that honest with him. And then come back around to that reality, that truth, bedrock, foundational truth. God loves to forgive. And God loves you. And God created your sexuality and he wants more than anything for you to turn to him. Let him fulfill your primary needs so that you can live your God-given sexuality out of a healthy soul. God loves to forgive. And he loves to forgive so much that Jesus Christ, his one and only son, paid the very highest price to forgive you and me. It took Jesus' death on the cross to forgive you and me. It took Jesus' death on the cross to buy and pay for your and my sin so that we can experience his grace and his forgiveness. And maybe for you today, you just need God to forgive you and you just need to accept his forgiveness. You might be someone who's been carrying around the weight and the emotion of something that you've done maybe months ago, maybe years ago, maybe decades ago. And what if today, could be the day when you say, you know what, God, I'm just going to trust you completely, even with my sexuality. I'm going to accept the fact that I'm accepted by you, God, 
I'm going to accept the fact that you forgive me, God. I'm going to truly allow, God, your forgiveness to wash over my life. And maybe for you today, it all rises and falls on you choosing to live your life in relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior once and for all. Why not today? Why not today step into the life and the forgiveness and the salvation that Jesus offers you? And you can do that right now, right where you're sitting. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I just invite you to pray with me if that's you. Jesus, I am a sinner. And Jesus, I am in desperate need of your salvation. Jesus, I look on my mountain of sin and there's no way for me to contend with all that. There's no way for me to wipe it away, clean it up, sweep it under the rug. I, I just can't. And I see Jesus towering over my sin, the Mount Everest of your grace and forgiveness, Jesus Christ. And with everything that's in me, Jesus, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. You're what I need. You're the Savior I need, Jesus. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you so much for rising from the dead for me. Thank you for the gift of eternal life as well as the gift of abundant life right here and right now. Here I am. All of me. I'm yours. And if you're someone who prayed with me just then to cross the line of faith in Jesus Christ, that's what we call it around here. That's the biggest decision of your whole life. So significant that we say nothing matters more, nothing carries more weight. It's paramount to everything else in life and it's such a big deal that around here we invite people to tell us when they make that decision. This is a private moment. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Nobody's looking around this room. If you prayed with me just then to give your heart and life to to cross the line of faith in Jesus Christ, make him your savior, would you right now be incredibly bold and brave and would you just slip your hand up and lock eyes with me? You can do that right now. Let me agree, yeah, in the back, yes, way to go. And you here, yes, way to go. And you over, yeah, way to go, yes, way to go. Jesus, thank you so much for these who are stepping across the line of faith in you today. Declaring that you're the Savior, the Messiah. The one who paid the price to forgive them. And we celebrate Jesus with you, with the angels in heaven. Thanks for letting us be a little part of your redemptive work right here on planet Earth. And God, thank you so much for the expression of sexuality that you've given to us. I pray, God, for us that we would use it well. That, God, you would be over and on and through and in the marriages across the life of our church, Jesus. That we'd actually understand as married couples engaging in healthy sexual expression 
that we're actually part of your redemptive movement right here on planet earth, taking back ground that the enemy's held for way too long. What a privilege it is for us to share in that really high responsibility, high task that you've given us. And God, I pray for the marriages in our church that they would be sanctified, that they would be set apart, that they would be holy unto you, God, in every way. In every way. God, I pray for the singles across the life of our church, that you would protect and guard their sexual purity, Jesus. That you would help them want to please you more than anything else. That it isn't about the question, how far is too far and how far can I go without sinning. But that Jesus, the dating couples in our church, that they would be so caught up in pleasing you that that question just wouldn't be even be on the radar screen. That they would just live to please you, live to serve you and that out of that honoring you Jesus would come every other good and perfect gift that you intend in due course we love you Jesus we honor you with everything our entire lives and beings are yours worship to you Jesus